What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, guys? Red Nation News Podcast. My name is Soman Ali, at Red Nation Hoops on Twitter. You're joined by Forrest Walker, at Do Not on Twitter. How are you, man? I'm doing pretty good. Also joined by the man of the hour, the guy we're here to talk about, George Flores, uh, at George Flores 2022. How are you doing, man? I'm pretty good, man. What's up? So, uh, the reason I brought us all together is because we're here to talk about Executive of the Year, and we're here to talk about specifically Daryl Morey's case for it. Now, George, you wrote a column about it earlier this week, uh, laying out basically Daryl Morey's case for this, and I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, like, And this might be a hot take. I think, I think Daryl Morey specifically, I think he has a better case for his award than anybody else in the, on the Rockets for their award. I'm not sure if that's a hot take to you guys. I, I think... Because the reason I say that is because every award the Rockets win this year, right? If let's just say uh, James Harden wins MVP, well, who traded for James Harden five years ago? Daryl Morey. Right. If uh, Mike D'Antoni wins Coach of the Year, well, who hired Mike D'Antoni? Daryl Morey. If Eric Gordon wins Sixth Man of the Year, well, who who signed Eric Gordon this summer? Daryl Morey, etc. You can keep on going down the line. Whatever award the Rockets win, it it whatever. Every piece of hardware the Rockets win only favors Daryl Morey. Um, and the Rockets are, are on pace to win like 15 more games this year than they did last year. And that's basically just based off of one summer of improvement in offseason in like, like off additions. And I just think, like, strictly case. I'm not talking about likelihood. Like, I think he has the best case to win this award. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think... But now that I think about the other awards, I think uh, like James Harden has a, a really good case. I think everyone has a really good case, but I think you're right when it comes to to Daryl Morey about just based on how this award is usually handed out, I think he does have the best case. Yeah, he's fighting uh, a similar battle, though, to the battle that Harden's fighting against Westbrook in that uh, he's got an, an opponent who's making a pretty strong case based on one singular thing, right? Westbrook has a triple-double, and then uh, Bob Myers has Kevin Durant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also think like there's there's some other candidates for this award. So l- let's lay out the field real quick. Um, so Bob Myers, obviously, is a candidate. He signed Kevin Durant this year. That gets you in the conversation like automatically. Um, and uh, 
I think two other candidates that other people aren't talking about as much, uh, David Griffin of the Cleveland Cavaliers, the moves he's been able to make around LeBron without giving up too much, like, you know, trading for Kyle Korver and waiting till the um, the trade deadline in the buyout market to clear up so he can sign Darren Williams. And he signed Andrew Bogut there for a second, even though he's not on the team anymore. Um, those were moves he made with limited resources. And I think that, that gives him a case. And I think... Dennis Lindsay, what he's been able to do with the Utah Jazz uh, over the years, just drafting smart, like Rudy Gobert late in the draft, um, Gordon Hayward um, trading for George Hill this summer. That was huge. That basically was the singular reason that they're doing this well this season. The, the, for the biggest reason for their improvement is because of George, the George Hill trade. And I think uh, other executives are going to take in, into account for that. Um and yeah, I the the, dif- the difference between this award and other awards, and why I think this might hurt Daryl Morey is this isn't voted on by the media. This is voted on by other executives, and uh, <laughs> other executives yeah. don't like Daryl Morey. <laughs> sure don't. Yeah, I'm sure they're I'm sure they're sick of their phones ringing every uh every trade deadline, just seeing Daryl Morey's number pop up. It's got to be pretty frustrating. <laughs> I mean, they know that, for example, Danny Ainge is going to try to fleece them, but they know that Daryl Morey will fleece them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, that, that's that's basically the, the calling card. Like, Daryl Morey will blow up your phone three times a day for a trade he might not even make, right? That's 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 basically what like the book on Daryl Morey. <laughs> and, and, and other executives know that, and that's why he's never been able to win one of the, any of these awards, even though I think he's had a pretty good case... Um, a couple summers ago, when, when after the James Harden trade and after he signed Dwight Howard, I thought that was his best case uh, up until this season um, for executive of the year, and he was like fifth in that in that race or something like that. Like he just doesn't get enough votes. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, I can't remember what the numbers were, but it wasn't like close. Yeah. Like he got just a couple of votes and no first place votes or something. It was just like a couple of third place votes, if uh, if I recall correctly. Yeah, he just doesn't get the respect from his peers and. Um, and and a, a lot of this is because um, he makes quote unquote the obvious move, right? And the, like like he'll make a move, and like three months later, it feels like it's obvious, right? Like 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 getting Ryan Anderson and uh, and Eric Gordon to uh, surround James Harden, like getting shooters around James Harden. Like at the time, that was a ridiculed move, right? But now it seems like the ob- of course, like surround James Harden with shooters, like the, that's all anybody could. I could have done that, right? Like that. Yeah. It. I feel like that hurts him a lot. And like du- signing Dwight, of course, Dwight Howard is one of the three best centers in the NBA. Why would I not sign Dwight Howard? Like that doesn't make him a genius, right? Like that's. I feel like that's and like also the James Harden trade, right? Like a lot. There's a lot of revisionist history with Daryl Morey, and um, I just think that hurts him a lot for this award. And the fact that he's not he's not like a former player. He's not a former coach. He's not somebody who's been in the NBA before. He's you know he's from the MIT uh, branch of things, and like I feel like that hurts him. Like, what do you guys think of that? Oh, uh, I think that you're right, and it's guys have a really uphill case for getting executive of the year. Like, I just think that he's not going to get it now or any time. I think it's <laughs> not going to happen for him. Because, uh, like you said, it's like 29 dudes vote on this. So uh, when you're in an uphill battle, you're in an uphill battle. So it's fine. He doesn't need executive of the year. He needs to get some other hardware instead. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, as far as, like, the other executives not liking him and like or not probably not going to vote for him, I, I can definitely see that. I just um, – I don't know. It's kind of it's just this award in general is just so weird in the way it's been 
handed out and like the type of teams, the type of executives that get rewarded. It's just, it's been like, uh, real quick, I just want to bring up uh, two two examples. Like last year, the Spurs won, They uh, R.C. Buford won, and basically his main move was um, bringing the band back together and signing LaMarcus Aldridge, the biggest name in free agency. So, like, it, it, and they won 67 games. So it's clear that he was deserving. But then if you look back to the 2013-2014 Spurs, R.C. Buford won, and, like, he did almost nothing in that, in, like, in terms of transactions and roster moves. But they won 62 games. So it's just kind of weird how this award works. And then actually going back all the way to 2009, um, his name escapes me, but the uh, GM of the Nuggets at the time won the award, and he did not do that well in terms of roster moves, and they won 54 games. So it was, it's just a weird, a weird thing. It's a weird, like... There's no defined thing. Like, there's no just how they don't define most valuable player. It's this thing. This award is also, I think, the least defined of the of the kind of major awards. Yeah, and you make a great great point about comparing it to the most valuable player award because the name is really deceptive, right? Because you can't be a good executive in one year, right? Like, you can't just have like a great season of being executive unless you're going crazy hard at like in the off season or the trade deadline, like. Generally, like making a, a great, compelling franchise is built up through the years, and it the the way these these awards are handed out, it is kind of random because it is like kind of like okay, we we haven't given this guy enough love for what he's done with this team in a while. Let's go ahead and give it to him now. Like I feel like that's the way it's done. Like 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 R. C. Buford, obviously great general manager. Like he wins sixty seven. Oh, he's in, he's relevant now, right? Because the Spurs are like this like one of the greatest regular season teams in NBA history. And it feels like a good time to reward him for consistently being a competent organization, right? Like, I like I feel like that's just the way. It, it's very, very random. It's like wherever the executives are leading one way, um, that's generally where they're going to go with the award. And, yeah, it's it's very, very vague in the way they define the award, too. Because, again, this is... This is something you can't win in one year. You can't, like, like if you, like, for MVP, I feel like a superstar, like, if he wants to, can go all out for an award for one year, right? Like, if he really wants to be, like, let's just say Eric Gordon really wants to be sixth man of the year. Like, he can work on be doing that, right? You can't really do that if you're an executive, right? And uh, <laughs> and and that complicates things. And that and that's why the, they probably need to change the year, the how frequently that, that award is handed out. Like, it should. I feel like it should be, like, executive of the decade or executive of the last five years like or, or something like that like or they need to rebrand it or something like it it's a very weird award but let's go ahead and make his case let's go ahead and make uh daryl Morey's case for him and hopefully some executive is listening to this and we can get some votes here um let's let's start with this offseason right because that that's really where we need to start with with how daryl Morey has reshaped everything for for the rockets so Going into this offseason, the Rockets won 41 games uh, last season, and um, some major changes needed to be made. And th- th- it's just—it's not even just like in one particular area. Across the board, uh, you fired Kevin McHale. Uh, you have an interim coach laying in the w- like laying in the wind right now. Um, your roster isn't that good. Like in retrospect, like Corey Brewer is not a very good basketball player, uh, and now you realize that, and now you, you have to kind of rebuild, like like and find new guys and find pieces that support James Harden, and it's very difficult, right? Like it's like the first, like I, I felt like 
the first step that Daryl Morey needed to make, and I and I was tw- I was tweeting about this, and like uh, we we wrote columns about this during the summer. Like I felt like the first co- important move was hiring, getting the coach hiring right, right, and like. I what, I was writing a column about this this summer, I was, and I, I think I said something like, "The coach you hire right now, like you have to keep this in mind. Like this has to be James Harden's last coach, right? You have that's the that's the mindset you have to go into these meetings with. Like the, like this is gonna be the this is gonna be James Harden's Rick Carlisle or his Greg Popovich. Like th- that's the kind of mindset you need to have going into these meetings. And I and and you know Daryl Morey goes out and hires Mike D'Antoni, and it's met with a lot of backlash and. Here we are, like six months later, and James Harden's calling him like his best friend in interviews, unprompted, and uh, it couldn't have worked out any better. Yeah, and it's it speaks to what was necessary in terms of like a culture change that the Rockets desperately needed from last year. And I mean, even just to go right before hiring D'Antoni, the Rockets they had to say all the right things, but they knew like, okay, we have to move on from Dwight. But moving on from a perennial all-star is not like in theory something you, you should do. <laughs> but but if it's if it's that if it's that much of a a, a a cancer, I guess, on the team, then it's a it's a it's it was the first step in in this culture change. And I think D'Antoni just kind of solidified that that step, if that makes any sense. Yeah, uh, and it's amazing that they got it right, to be honest. Like I, every everybody was disappointed by the hiring of D'Antoni, given his absolutely honestly, pretty grim yeah, yeah. track record. Yeah, like the same with same with Ryan Anderson. I mean, these were moves that did not look fantastic at the outset. I mean, that's a lot of money for Ryan Anderson, and it's it's. I mean, it's still on the table that maybe in later years that contract doesn't look so good. But right now, everything looks like the perfect move. You know, and that looks like you said the culture's been rebuilt. They were able to move on, not only lose an all star. But gain like fifteen wins. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, and it's crazy how that how that happens, right? Like you you lose an all star. I mean, you lose you 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 make the decision to let go of Dwight Howard, and you make the decision to hire Mike D'Antoni, and immediately there's ripple effects, right? Like the the like as soon as you hired Mike D'Antoni, like the off season was set. Like the mindset going in is you need to surround Mike D'Antoni with the requisite talent that that supports his style of play, right? And that's where we get to Ryan Anderson, and Eric Gordon, and. When these signings were made, I can tell you, man. Like even myself, like I'll put. I'm not. I'm not innocent in all this. Like I ripped the Ryan Anderson signing. Like I thought it was terrible. Like like eighty million dollars over four years just seemed like a lot of money for somebody who was injury riddled for like for the most part, and you know like just unproven and. It felt like like the narrative on Ryan Anderson was quickly shifting to like is is he playable on on a championship team? Is he playable on even a playoff team? Right, like because his defense is so bad. Like, can you justify putting him on the court in key moments? Right, and that that was becoming the narrative of his career. And same with Eric Gordon. Like Eric Gordon, the narrative was quickly becoming like, like yeah, he's really freaking good, but like the dude can't play. Right, the the dude plays like forty games a year. Like, is it really worth? signing somebody if you're not sure if he's going to be on the court and like i thought like looking back at it this these were kind of smart moves like because like these were guys who's who weren't really highly sought after right like the best teams weren't really going after uh these guys like like 
it was pretty the like these were inefficiencies in the marketplace. These guys were damaged goods that more you essentially rebuilt. Yeah, uh and amazing kudos to them for apparently correctly recognizing that the training staff in uh New Orleans either either recognizing the training staff in New Orleans was bad or that those were fluky injuries. Probably both. Because, uh, yeah, everyone <laughs> seemed to think that you know, neither of them could stay healthy, and if they could, their defense was bad. Uh, neither of the, their defenses have been anywhere near as bad as advertised. And they've also, you know, I say as Ryan Anderson currently has a twisted ankle, but uh, they, <laughs> they've been way better at staying healthy this year, probably because uh, Houston has a better training staff than using the local football team staff. But, yeah, that, that's been super impressive that these guys worked out so much better than anyone expected. Yeah, and I mean, just looking at Eric Gordon's contract, four years, $53 million, how is that not like the steal of the century? That's I mean, just a phenomenal contract. At the time at the, at the the time of the signing, we all thought like, oh, that's a risk, but that's, an, that's a calculated risk. But it yeah, just looks like a total steal now. And, and, and compared to the contract the Rockets are about to give out to Kent Bazemore, I mean, like, the, the Rockets are about to yeah. offer Kent Bazemore like um, a four-year max, right? And and like, thank God. Like looking about it, back at it, like Kent Bazemore might be trash. Like that 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 might like <laughs> that might not have been a smart move. And the Rockets might be in a crappy situation right now if they if they had made that signing, right? And like, I mean, like if you look in retrospect at the, at the bullets they dodged to get here, I mean, like like how diff how different would this, like like how different would this team be if they had Kent Bazemore and like Al Hortford like would they still be a 56 win team i'm not sure right ooh i mean that's a, that's a tough hypothetical but you can't really imagine it going much better than this like this this really does seem like it's probably about as good as anything could have gone uh I don't know, maybe Bazemore would have been better in Houston, but he certainly has looked totally bad. He's looked awful this year. Well, he is playing next to a certain uh, a certain perennial all-star that the Rockets <laughs> got rid of, so that, that could factor in. Hey, can we talk about that for a minute, by the way? That like uh, that that perennial all star has been doing the things he always does. And I want to say I I bear no ill will to to a certain nameless all star. His name is Dwight. But uh, <laughs> I think I don't have any ill will to him. But that he's kind of doing exactly what Houston fans said he would do. That he's done everywhere where he requires post touches and operates in a way which is not conducive. Like I don't even know why I don't know why they picked him up. It's it's kind of surprising that anybody thought that like Dwight leaving was not going to, if anything, help the team. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it kind of goes back to what Solomon said earlier about uh, revisionist history with Maury's moves. Looking at it, it's like, yeah, well, of course, of course, losing Dwight was going to make us better. But you know, that's just. I think Rockets fans knew that uh, deep down inside, but uh, yeah, I. I feel I feel for Atlanta fans right now. I mean, that, even, that's that season is going so <laughs> weird. I mean, even if you think back to the trade deadline, right? Like everybody, like like I felt like the, the Rockets fans were like a sick dog at, the, at last year's trade deadline, right? And they wanted to be put out <laughs> oh, of their mis- they wanted to be put out of their misery, right? Like they wanted somebody to shoot them in the head, like and, and like so badly, and that and that bullet was Dwight Howard, right? Like everybody wanted him to be gone, and. Like ironically, like like they were right. Like like l- like losing Dwight Howard was such like 
it was like I, I can't even describe the amount of burden the Rockets have like li- like lifted off the show. Not to say, uh, and I, I I hate how we have to qualify this every single time we mention Dwight's name. Like like Dwight was a good guy for the community. He was a very good player uh, for the three years he was here. He was he was very good. Um, you know he had some great performances, but man, like it got really ugly. Like back like and. Just like the Rockets did not want to play the way Dwight Howard wanted to play, and Mike Tantoni certainly did not want to play the way Dwight Howard wanted to play. And, <laughs> and, That's for sure. Yeah, and, and we've seen this before, right? And um, yeah, it's it. It was like it. It feels like the the biggest addition by subtraction move in like the past five years, like I, that I could think of off the top of my head in the NBA. Yeah, it's pretty wild to hear all the accounts after the fact of how much these guys just didn't get along, but neither of them were the kind of dude who would, you know, make make a full-on confrontation, so it just kind of stewed and festered. I mean, that kind of fits in with how, what we were saying at the time. Not, not that I guess too much, but Lessies and a lot of us were saying, oh, it just looks like they all hate each other now, and... uh well, they did. So, <laughs> kudos for the executives, uh, Daryl Moore, etc., for being bold enough to just say, you know what, we got to part ways with this potential Hall of Famer because it's destroying the career of the other one. And in, in almost uh, a certain way, like it, it almost would have been better if they if they would have thrown blows, right? Like it, it, like that festering tension of that non-confrontational way, like that they operate, like that almost contributed to like how bad the locker room got. The fact that they didn't confront each other, like it would have been better if they got into a full-on fight, right? Like in some ways, right? Like at least like you would have got your differences aside, and like it it feels like. Like just by letting him go and that awkwardness going away, the Rockets added like five wins and and letting Clint Capella take that starting spot, which I feel like is another reason like Daryl Morey should be a shoe in for this award. Like like he had the foresight to one draft Clint Capella as late as late as he did in the draft and um, two like recognize that okay, I think he's ready for the starting position. I think he's he'll, he'll do really well with. Uh, James Harden in the pick and roll, and it's worked out beautifully, right? Like Clint Capella has been awesome, especially post All Star break, and um, like that pairing with him and, and James Harden couldn't have worked out any better. Yeah, uh, in large part because Clint Capella actually wants to do the things that he needs to be doing. <laughs> That's a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we wouldn't be having this problem if Dwight Howard just, you know set some screens and ran for the lobs, you know, instead of calling for post-ups. But yeah, I mean, just to, just to see that Maury saw that Clint uh, was ready to take this next step. And I mean, first of all, just seeing the talent in that dude when no one knew who he was like coming out of the, coming out of that draft. Oh, and, uh, and, I and actually have a story for that. If I can stop okay. you for a second, like, okay, yeah. I was at the Rockets draft party, right? And like, this is if you guys know what Rockets draft party, it's like it's like a whole bunch of season ticket holders. They gather. Uh, there's a whole bunch of Rockets executives there. Uh, they're watching the draft, and there's and they're, they're you know there's there's games going on. There's trivia. There's bowling and stuff like that. It's it's a fun it's a fun thing, right? And 
Like Clint Capella's name came on the board in everybody's face. Like if you look around the world, nobody had a clue who the hell he was. Like nobody, <laughs> and it was it got to the point where somebody from the Rockets like had to grab the mic and ensure the fans. Like he literally said, "Guys, don't worry. Daryl Morey knows what he's doing, right?" Because there was some <laughs> there was some groaning going on during that party. Like, what the hell is Daryl Daryl doing? Right? Like, like who is this guy from Switzerland or whatever? Right? Like nobody knew who he was, and people were googling him at the party. Right. <laughs> and, and like and just the, the irony, like everybody know, like everybody at that party is like probably so thankful that they draft. Like I'm, I think there was somebody else that they wanted at that position. Like and, like the party had this collective person that they wanted. And now, like, I feel like it's a it's a blowout. Right. Like they, they're so happy <laughs> yeah. that, that it was Clint. Okay, go, go ahead, yeah, George. I cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. And I just wanted to add. uh it, it it it's a point about Capella, but it's, I think it's also just a point about um, uh, how the Rockets are one of the few NBA teams that actually treat the, the D League as a developmental league. If that makes any sense, normally Maury will draft a guy, and if he's a second round guy or something, and he's not, he doesn't immediately stand out and earn a job. He just spends most of the year of of his of his rookie year in uh in the Rio Grande Valley, and what do you, next thing you know. He's contributing like the following year, and that, that kind of happened with Capella. And like, I wouldn't be surprised if like next year Kyle Wilcher is just like a a phenomenal rotation player. But, like, it it kind of speaks to Maury's use of the developmental system too, that I don't think really gets talked about that much. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a big deal. Instead of wasting young players on the bench, uh, actually finding out if they can play or not. And so, you know, so many teams just let guys sit on the bench and not play, and they don't, they, they neither impress anybody because they can't play, or when they do play, they don't look good. Well, yeah, send them to the D-League so we can try to reclaim them or, like, try to actually get a look at them. Uh, I think it actually speaks volumes to how good Maury and the, and the executives and the Rockets are that, Guys like Wilcher, you know, the fact that we expect Wilcher to just come out and like be surprisingly good, that alone is a good, a good <laughs> sign. But also that you have like all these these players that get drafted, kind of mid or late first round or in the second round, end up contributing. And then the fact that they go other places and don't look as good, that also is weirdly a good sign, I think, for Houston and their management because it means they know how to maximize players' talents. They know how to make players look better and get them to and make them able to contribute more than they, they would in just a generic system. So I, I think it's very impressive that they know how to, how to tease this out of guys. And that, yeah, this is obviously a place where players can go to have the better years in their career. And I thought you made a great point there, George. Like, I almost feel like I expect Chinani Anuaku to, like, have, like, a breakout season next year, right? <laughs> like, like, I feel like he's going to be, like, the backup center next year if Nene chooses I'm, to walk. I'm, <laughs> like, I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm actually expecting that. If Nene chooses to walk or retire or something, I yeah. fully expect Nanu and his and his granny shot free throws to come in and just make a difference. <laughs> right, like, and, and, and he'll be, like, the next Clint Capella making ma- major waves in, a like, a Western Conference series, right? Like, I, like I feel like, 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 people forget, like, Clint Capella was making, like, contributions on a conference finalist, right? Like, we saw this early on with Clint. Like, that, that's huge. As a rook. <laughs> what even? <laughs> right. Yeah, they really get guys up to speed, don't they? 
Yeah, and like this was like earlier in the year. Like we thought, like like is Clint Capella good? Like like I remember like there was a, there was a stretch where Clint Capella didn't make a field goal for like seven games or something like that. Like 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 he didn't make anything and he couldn't make free throws. Like we thought he was a bum for like a few weeks there, and then he comes out in the biggest stage of the, of his career probably, and like shows up like when the Rockets absolutely need him and switches on to Steph Curry and gets major stops like on the MVP, right? Like that, like that's the, that's the kind of stuff the Rockets do with their, with their Rio Grande Valley system. Like they just, they just find these guys late in the draft and, and they, they take gambles on like, 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 and, and not only like with guys like American born players, like they do this with like, like Demo, right? Like, like they drafted Demo, they stashed him, he came over and he was contributing like immediately uh, when Terrence Jones went down, right? And like like Daryl Morey just does stuff like that, and I feel like Zochi's gonna have a moment like that too, right? Like like <laughs> like like Zochi's gonna come out in like three years, and he's gonna like show up in the biggest stage of his life, and like the Rocky, and he's gonna make like the game saving stop or something. I don't know, like 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 you just kind of expect that from him at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, the the developmental aspect is really interesting, but also just the the eye for talent. I think, I mean. Think about some of those second round draft picks in, over the, the recent years, you know, highlighted with like Chandler Parsons and and like Carl Landry and those kind of well, Carl Landry was probably not a Mori guy. I don't remember. But uh but like those type of talents that just come in and maybe they're like the eighth man on the ro- the eighth uh man in the rotation, but they're just gonna come in and, and contribute. Yeah, and like and and we, we didn't even talk about like one of the major signings the Rockets made this season. Uh they signed Nene for the room exception and that was like Rockets fans immediately knew that was a steal like I can't I still can't believe like the Rockets got him for the deal they got him for like two and a half million dollars for one year on a Nene rental and like 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 it was just like and Nene is making huge contributions for this team right like he's one of the most important players on the roster even though he's a bench player right like he's really helping Clint Capella ease into that starting role he's playing down the stretch and uh, in close games like and he's uh, making key stops he's um, he can see still freakishly athletic so he can still dunk and like the like Maury got him for as cheap as you can get him just because his value dropped in Washington. Uh, and I was, um, I, at the time of the signing, I was very surprised at the dollar figure. I was knew it was a total steal because I, 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 for whatever reason, I watch a lot of the Wizards games, <laughs> and uh, and I, I was like, I saw Nene playing well, and I was like, oh wait, we got him for three million dollars, like that's insane. And then of course he comes into camp just totally shredded. So I was like, oh yeah, total <laughs> steal. Like he's like, he's gonna he's gonna be awesome, and so far he has been. He's like some kind of basketball wizard out there. It's amazing. His he has like the he has the most early gray beard I've ever seen. Like I always think he's <laughs> gonna be like forty three, but he's like he's like thirty five or something. <laughs> it's weird how gray he is. Yeah, yeah, and and, and he can st- and he still has a lot of bounce. And like I like I feel like like just off this season alone, like Nene's gonna get a pretty good contract from a team next summer, and that's because the Rockets restored his value, and they did that with pretty much everybody they signed. Like they found they found broken free agents, right? And, and I use the the term broken like very specifically because they they're at the lowest point of their careers, and they gave them good deals, and they're gonna and like they're really contributing to championship roster teams, and like. 
in any other like in any other situation, I don't think Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon would be having the seasons they're having. But in this situation, under Mike D'Antoni, uh, which also highlights how good Mike D'Antoni the signing was for them, because he utilized these guys in the best ways and he restored their value. Like that, you couldn't find a better situation for these guys. Yeah, they're always reclaiming players. I mean, they even made like Omri Caspi look good for a few months a couple years ago. So. <laughs> I mean, they, like, look at what happened to Aaron Brooks after he left. When Aaron Brooks is in Houston, he just looked like this amazing prodigy point guard out of nowhere. Then he moves on elsewhere, and for every year after he left the Rockets, he just has not been the same. Uh, it's amazing how they maximize guys' potential. Oh, and like to me, the uh, maybe the best case of like maximizing potential for a guy was was like Chuck Hayes. Guy, yeah, yeah. guy, was, guy was six six playing center and he and he he got a triple double in a game like how insane is this <laughs> yeah like Ch- i love chuck hayes man like yeah i, I love the chuck wagon yeah and, and like he was contributing to like a, a borderline playoff team for like how many years like three or four years when the rockets were like fighting to make the playoffs and like he was playing pretty good defense like, and he held his own down there and uh yeah, and they they just find these guys, man. And I, and I almost feel like 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 Troy Williams. Like I have no idea who the hell Troy Williams is, but but I feel like he's gonna become a player soon. Like because <laughs> like I have that much front, like faith in the front office. Like I, and I, I made a joke on Twitter. Like 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 Troy Williams is gonna make the game saving stop on Kevin Durant, right? Like that's gonna happen this year, right? Like and and he's he's, he's gonna lead the Rockets to their first NBA Finals because that's just what happens with. <laughs> Right, like that's. I'll take it. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say it's that scenario is like exactly what happened with Troy Daniels, except it was a game-winning three in the playoffs. Exactly, like they (laughs) they found a ten-day guy and he made like the most crucial shot in that series, like. Other than Damian Lillard, obviously winning the yeah, series, but like, but like, <laughs> like, <laughs> but like, yeah, he made the second biggest shot in that series and saved the Rockets' ass from elimination. Right, and that was like, like you, the Rockets just find these guys, man. Like, and I, I have no, I have nothing else to say other than they, they just, they just do, they just find these guys, and um, and yeah, like I, I just, I just feel like, like that's all of this that we're talking about, like Reeve, Reeve restoring these guys values is probably Daryl Morey's biggest case for executive of the year. Like, cause he just finds guys like, like where they're borderline going to become useless in the NBA and makes them so useful that like the people are talking about how the Rockets have so much help. So like that, like de like that de ah, that delegitimizes his MVP candidacy. Like nobody was talking about this when, uh, De- Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon resigned. Like, like, like these guys aren't like these guys weren't some highly sought after guys that you know like they they hurt Harden's MVP candidacy. And now that they've had such great seasons, they feel like no brainers. Well, let me let me say what's my uh, my low key case for uh, for Daryl Morey as being one of the best executives in the league and should win Executive of the Year at some point in the near future. Chandler Parsons at every point. First yeah. off, they locate this guy in the draft, and he was so much better than anybody thought he could have been on the most team-friendly contract. Yeah, he he st- he straight up stole Marcus Morris's job as the starting small forward yeah. for that team, and Marcus Morris was like gonna be Carmelo for us or something like that. Like, 
And he played so well in Houston that he made that was his career. His career was that he played really, really well in Houston and that he got paid a lot for the rest of it. And here's the most important thing Daryl Morey didn't pay him. Daryl Morey <laughs> yeah. said it's better to be the one who drafts him than the one who signs him. And everyone was like, okay, Daryl, sour grapes. <laughs> and now look where we are. He has maybe the worst contract in the NBA. And at one point, he was probably the best. Yeah, and he's on his second max deal, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Like, and he, yeah, after, he, he looked, kinda, after his huge payout in Dallas and his huge payout in Memphis. Yeah. And I feel so bad for him. Like, he's having a miserable yeah, year in Memphis. It's depressing. Yeah, 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 I'd feel worse for him if you weren't gonna be if you weren't making millions and millions of dollars, <laughs> a lot, a lot of money. <laughs> no, but yeah, you're right. Like, like I think Chandler Parsons was making like 300k a year at some point. Like, I, I feel like that was a thing, right, on his rookie rookie year deal. And like, it was like 900k. You can't make 300k yeah, a year. In yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, it, it was it was ridiculously low. Like, he wasn't ma- he wasn't a millionaire for the longest time, <laughs> and um and the Rockets made him millionaires basically by letting him go. Uh, to a a Dallas Mavericks team that was struggling to find talent on the low end, right? And that's basically what they do. Like they they find these guys in the draft, and like Sam Decker earlier this year, right? Like Sam Decker, uh, like we I didn't I hated the Sam Decker pick, like when that happened. Like I I wanted the Rockets to draft a point guard, like and and he ended up like contributing really well in the beginning of the season. Like granted, he's tailed off so far, but I still think Sam Decker can be a player in the NBA. And the Rockets the Rockets drafted him. Uh, a lot higher than anybody, any other team would have drafted him. Yeah, and speaking of uh, Sam, he's locked. He's locked up uh, as a rocket on a rookie scale deal until twenty nineteen. So, <laughs> so that's that's part, and that's part of that's one thing Maury did this offseason. He picked up that option, and he also actually picked up Capella's option, which no one. I mean, it was, it's kind of a low key move, but he picked up Capella's option, meaning that. Oh, I noticed Capella. it. I noticed it. Yeah. I'm, the, I'm the biggest yeah, that, fella fan like out there, and I, I I was psyched when that happened. But yeah, go ahead. So, so when when Capella's making his defensive player of the year case in 2018, he'll be making <laughs> 2.3 million dollars. It's it's phenomenal. Phenomenal. I, I gotta say about Sam Decker, I kind of wish that he would have uh, just not played those six minutes in his first year. <laughs> just those, those six minutes, man. They 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 kicked him out of rookie of the year contention this season. Yeah, yeah, they, they really did. But I mean, I, I honestly don't think he'd be winning it anyways uh, this year. Uh, he's tailed off pretty bad. Like, like that rookie wall. Like, like Sam Decker didn't hit that rookie wall. That rookie wall hit him, man. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that was wild too. He was he was really good up until suddenly he wasn't. <laughs> I, I, I was making a case on other podcasts that he should have been like like next year we're talking about Sam Decker as a starter like that that's how good he was for a stretch like I I thought he would become like the starter at, by next year and um, yeah I mean like I I think he'll bounce back but whatever yeah so let's get back to uh, Daryl Morey but yeah um, so this trade deadline the Rockets like we kept on talking about how they needed. Uh, another point guard, another wing, and perhaps another big, right? Daryl Morey uh, goes out and, like, I, I didn't even think they had the assets for Lou Williams. They trade a first-round pick for Lou Williams, and they dump Corey Brewer's salary. So, and we thought, like, Corey Brewer would take at least, like, a first-round pick by itself. And they got a player back, and they only gave up a first-round pick. Like, that was such a good trade. Yeah, uh, that was 
the, the most amazing thing about that trade is not just that it was a fantastic trade for Houston, but it wasn't really that bad for Los oh, Angeles no. either. No, it, it was like a good they deal. got things they needed. They got a draft pick, and they you know let they let him go so where he can be more useful. And then uh, Corey Brewer is you know his contract's not really going to matter to them, and he can just kind of I guess be like a stabilizing influence back there. So that's pretty good. Uh, I think that's a big difference between Ainge and Maury in that. As I've done before, Ainge always wants to like brutally win every deal, uh, but Maury's a little more subtle about it, and like, and he actually doesn't want to just totally swindle everybody, like to the point where they hate him. <laughs> yeah. Possibly because they hate him because he swindled them. <laughs> yeah, but it's also funny. I, I just, I just imagine like a uh, like an executive getting a call from Daryl Maury, and Maury, you know, he proposes some trade that that looks weird on paper, so. The executive like mutes his phone and he starts getting all of his like assistants and stuff. To, okay, look up the cap. What are the rules? <laughs> he's, he's doing something to us. We don't know. What, we don't know what, but he's doing something to us. How is this going to screw us? <laughs> yeah. Like I remember, like when that Corey, when that uh, trade happened for Lou Williams. Like I remember, like when Magic Johnson got hired. Right. Like I, I tweeted out that morning. Corey Brewer's getting traded to the Lakers. Like that's happening. Like, the, 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 like, and it happened because like Daryl Morey. I mean, like, I, I don't want to say he took advantage of a Magic Johnson, but like, like he he was he opp- saw an opp- opportunity. opportunity, right? He saw an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> he saw that opportunity, and like, you made a great point there. For is like, like, like you never know. You're getting swindled by Daryl Morey until like three years down the line, right? Like, like, like right now, like the trade looks good, right? Like, like Daryl Morey traded you a pretty good player, but ne- like it looks it looks good, right? And but what you what you're gonna find out in two years, the asset you gave back to to get him is gonna turn out to be like a star in like two years, <laughs> right? Like the, the, that's that's just like how it works. Like a, like the Kyle Lowry trade, right? Like it, it, I felt like it was something similar to that. Like the the Rockets, like nobody knew Kyle Lowry was that good, right? The Rockets made him that good. Like he he came to Houston and he became that good, and then they flipped him. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. Like I bet that the uh, the Raptors wish they'd had some of those resources hanging around. They probably could have done with a James Harden, but oh well. Yeah, well I'll, I'll, I was going to say that you know who definitely is feeling the effects of being swindled by Maury is the Oklahoma City Thunder, but I didn't. Oh my god! <laughs> I didn't. I didn't need to. I didn't need to bring bring that up, but it's just low hanging fruit. <laughs> oh, that man. one's just a given. <laughs> I mean, like Daryl Morey made the trade of the of the, of the decade. Like, like and we're gonna be talking about that trade for like years and years, and we are. I mean, it's been like four years since it's happened, and and we keep on talking about it every single podcast, every single time we watch the Rockets and Warriors play. Not the Rockets and Warriors, the Rockets and the Thunder play each other. That trade always comes up, no matter what. Like, there's gonna be books written on it. There's gonna be um, there's gonna be thirty for thirties on it. Like, I want to I want to read the book on like. Daryl Morey side of it, because like that's that summer, like Daryl Morey lost his <laughs> mind. Like he, like he traded like almost the entire <laughs> roster. Like he traded like like I remember he he gave away Chase Budinger to like for like a first round pick in a draft that wasn't that good. And everybody's like, what the hell is this guy doing, right? And like he traded, he kept he made like if you look at his transaction history for uh, that summer, like everybody thought like you'll think that he was a freak, he's a freaking psychopath, like. And it, and he got he got poison pill deals for yeah, Ashik yeah. and Lynn. It was just such a weird summer. Yeah, <laughs> and like it, yeah, and then that right was going to end right with the fourth season. Like the, the the shoe finally fell. Yeah, and like, like and like 
up until that point, Daryl Morey was getting killed, like on the radio, on blogs, everywhere. Like people were calling for his head on a stick. Like up until Daryl Morey made that mood, right? Up until the James Harden trade, people were were roasting Daryl Morey, and then after that, I mean, like this town loves Daryl Morey, right? <laughs> like they'll take bullets for Daryl Morey, uh, and it's pretty it's pretty funny how that how that shift how that whole dynamic shifted. Like the Rockets were in tr- were in trade discussions for Carmelo Anthony. Uh, Dwight Howard, Andrew Bynum, Andre Drummond. Like, if you look at the names they were in talks for that summer, like, it's pretty insane how quickly all that unraveled. Like, they were in talks for pretty much every superstar that was on the on the market, and they ended up getting probably the best superstar out of all of them. Uh, and it it wasn't it wasn't apparently obvious that they did. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that was a time when we still thought that Andrew Bynum was like would be a player close to the level of Dwight Howard who right. we thought was an MVP <laughs> so yeah we thought we thought Dwight Howard and Nene and like like we thought these like Pau Gasol like we thought these guys were going to be the saviors right because the Rockets were in this were in this like peril of mediocrity right and and what and what really happened and like in retrospect it's 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 it's, it's pretty crazy how you can shine a light on what Daryl was doing back there like he was like he was just, he just kept on flipping and flipping and flipping like making these these seventy five cents for dollar trades right like like and, and the reason I use that metaphor right like like if you give up seventy five cents for somebody who really needs chains right and he'll give you a dollar back like that for the time being like that's fine right that's a good that's a good deal right because he he really needs the quarters right now and you and you're benefiting by that quarter right by that extra quarter you're getting and in 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 reality like that guy is he keeps on flipping that dollar till he gets like you know. The prize, which is which is James Harden, right? He just kept on flipping and flipping and flipping these assets, and it led to this massive trade that we're going to be talking about forever. And I feel like that should the James Harden trade should be part of this executive of the year conversation, right? Because if if James Harden wins MVP, who traded for James Harden, right? And like who had the foresight to make to make that trade and like gamble on him? Like I remember at the press conference, like like. He he, Daryl Morey said something along the lines like, "This is going to be our cornerstone, right?" And people were laughing at him. Like like a lot of people were so skeptical about that trade. Uh, I think even Charles Barkley killed him for it uh, on TNT or something like that. Like, Naturally, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like now, people are kissing his <laughs> for that trade, and that's just the way it works. In re- like Daryl's Daryl Morey's move moves always look so much better in retrospect, and I feel like that trade particularly like that should be a part of this executive year conversation because as George was talking about earlier, like these awards aren't handed out for yearly basis. They're handed out over a collection of years. Yeah. And, and there's actually um, a, a very recent case the 2015 warriors, uh, Bob Myers got it, but you get rewarded for past performance just as much as you do for like current performance as executive. Um, the, that warrior's core was already set. Yeah, they, they were they they were totally set. So they only Bob added Myers, they only added like Sean Livingston and Leandro Barbosa, if I if I can remember correctly. They, they only yeah, added like two, yeah. Go ahead. That's all. That's all they did, and they extended uh, Clay's contract and uh, Harrison Barnes. But uh, but yeah, like it, it was it's it's the core was already there, so it's clearly not an award about just you know roster moves and stuff. Which if if we're throwing in roster moves, I don't think anybody compares to Maury except for maybe Dennis Lindsay in Utah right now. But yeah, and, and like and like, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up Bob Myers because he he had the foresight to hire Steve Kerr, right? And a lot of people were skeptical about Steve Kerr being a good coach in the NBA, right? 
And he ended up being, like, Steve Kerr is probably one of the five best coaches in the NBA right now. And, like, he was a big catalyst for that, for the shifting in the Warriors, like, for the the surge in how good they become. They became, because they were horrendous on offense. And, pe- and people forget that. Like, the Warriors were not a great offensive team up until Steve Kerr got there, right? Like, did they were running a lot of isolation plays for, like, Harrison yeah. Barnes, right? And, like... And, like in retrospect, that was a dumb, that was a really, really dumb idea, right? By Mark Jackson, right? And, like, that's kind of what Mike D'Antoni is for the Houston, right? Like, like getting Mike D'Antoni is a huge reason they're 15 games better. They're going to be 15 games better at the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, what I want to know, the biggest or more question I have, did he have some knowledge that James Harden was going to come available? Oh, we didn't even talk about this. Hold on. Uh, if I can cut you off for a second. Uh, D- James Harden's extension. like Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That was huge. That, Game changer. James Harden's <laughs> extension is probably like the biggest reason he should win this award. Because... Like James Hart, like like we didn't see this, we didn't see this extension coming. Like even the cap nerds didn't see this coming. I, like nobody thought, like like of course it was possible that they, they could have re- renegotiated and extended, but nobody thought that that would happen at this point. Like like it, it'd take a lot of con- like convincing to make James Harden sign that deal, and he signed it at just the right time, and they locked him up for the rest of his prime years. Yeah, he'll he'll be a he'll be a rocket um, until he's thirty. So. So that's he's basically he's guaranteeing his best years to be in Houston, and that gives us the best shot at winning a title. So, just an insanely, insanely game changing move, just a huge move, probably yeah. one of the biggest of Maury's career, aside from the Harden trade. And <laughs> and, and, and it's, he it's also a, he also did it like a week before they did it in uh, Oklahoma City, so he got to be the guy that got all the credit for uh, thinking of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so what were you talking about? Uh, Forrest, sorry to cut you off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, th- did he like have some knowledge that the, the Harden trade was going to happen? Like, do we know if he could like? Because you know, obviously, at the be- at least he was being very opportunistic, and he managed to jump on this situation. But like, did he perhaps know that this is happening earlier? Because we don't we don't know what front offices know. There's a whole lot of stuff going on that we never are privy to that like no one's ever privy to so i'm kind of curious as to like how how good his like feelers are because well, you know like for from my recollection like james harden was in a contract situation contract dispute with the with the oklahoma city thunder right and that was kind of the reason his name got on the market because you know oklahoma city wanted to extend harden uh not that summer like he, like he, he would have been locked up uh, the next year, but th- they wanted to extend him even further than that. So your standard rookie year extension, and James Harden wanted the max. And I think I'm guessing Daryl Morey caught wind of that and made the phone call. And uh, it's funny you mentioned this because like I, I remember Daryl Morey was like on Zach Lowe's podcast like a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about how he like he made the trade like at a at his kid's soccer game. Like he was he was in the car like uh, in the parking lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. of his, he was in the car of his parking lot of the of this parking lot of his kid's soccer game, and he was executing a trade, the biggest trade of his career in that parking lot. I just think it's funny. Hey, life comes at you fast. You gotta be ready to to open that door. Yeah, I mean, yeah. To answer your question, I think it's because of they were in that con- they were in contract disputes. There were other teams that were interested in James Harden. I think the Mavericks uh, were were you know poking around to see if they could get him, and the Rockets just had the most assets. Um, 
so yeah, I think I think we made his case. Uh, I think we've thoroughly made the best case for Daryl Morey. I mean, you guys have anything else to add to that? I think he made his case. <laughs> yeah. Years. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, just all the uh, all the moves we talked about, and then I mean, it goes without saying, winning matters for this award. And if I mean a fifteen game improvement, that's just bananas. So. Uh, yeah, I think we made it. I do want to point out something, though. Uh, the whole idea behind this, uh, the case for Daryl Morey as, a, as an article, and there's going to be more to come on Red Nation Hoops for the other awards. Uh, there's an interesting stat, little fun fact, that um, only once in history has a team won uh, all four of the awards that we're going to talk about, Executive of the Year, Coach of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, and MVP. And that was the uh, the ninety five ninety six Chicago Bulls with uh, Jordan MVP, Tony Kukoc, Sixth Man of the Year, Jerry Krause, um, Executive of the Year, and uh, Phil Jackson, Coach of the Year. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. The Rockets have like a five percent chance to make history, and that's pretty big. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't think the Rockets will will complete the sweep like that, but just just the fact that we can seriously talk about it is pretty amazing. I mean, considering hey, I, what happened last year. I mean, hey, I mean, they're in they're in the conversation for all these top awards, right? They're at the top of these conversations. It's not like Isaiah Thomas in the MVP race, like, right? They have they have a a strong candidate in every single of these every single one of these awards, right? Like Eric Gordon's at the top of the Sixth Man of the Year award ballot, right? Like, absolutely. James Harden's at the top of the MVP ballot. Um, yep. And we made the case why Daryl Morey should be at the top of the Executive Year ballot. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, there's. It's not. It's not. We're not just blowing smoke over Daryl Morey's ass. Like, like this is a thing that could happen. Like, there's a five percent chance this thing this thing could happen, and it's pretty great. Now, and now that we're done with the basketball portion of this podcast, I have some beef with you, George. Because okay, okay. So like you mentioned, like we were texting back and forth about this columns thing, and I don't know how this came up, but I was talking about how I'm so excited for this new Fast and Furious movie. Right, comes out April fourteenth. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm. I'm really I'm pumped for this. I like I've I've rewatched the call. I've rewatched the series like a bunch of times. I'm excited to watch this movie, right? <laughs> and you are like you made one of the most hater remarks possible. Like you, I think you said the series is underrated or something like that. Overrated. Overrated. Like yeah. I, th- yeah. that's just. I need you to explain yourself right there. Uh, well, I mean, there's what um, there's about to be an eighth fast movie. Yes, unfortunately, um, only eight of them. Okay, okay, out of eight movies, there's like two and a half good ones. So that, that's, 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 that, that's, that's just, just kind of my thing. That's just whack. <laughs> like, the first Fast and Furious was great. Too Fast, and, too, too fast too Furious was great. Tokyo too Drift, Fast and Furious was funny. I wouldn't say it's great, but it's it's got it's got moments. It was pretty great. I mean, we saw the, the debut of Tyrese Gibson, so that, that automatically makes it an all-timer for me. And, uh, and Tokyo Drift, that was pretty good. I, even though nope. it, it's kind nope. of it's kind of <laughs> okay like yeah, i'll admit Tok- right. tokyo right. drift is kind of the weakest of this of the series i'll admit it's, that it's, it's like the uh it's like the uh it, to shift things to make it a, a comparison to like the marvel cinematic universe it's the incredible hulk of that series or like nobody really wants to acknowledge that acknowledge it but it is canon technically like technically <laughs> Man, it happened. you guys i don't know what's wrong with you guys tokyo drift was great it was too <laughs> fast too furious that was the worst of a lot of them that one was just like a like it was just like a rip off of bad boys 2 basically i don't it know was, man like I think okay, by far the weakest i think two and four are the weakest and then one is not like the other movies the first one is just a kind of a regular 
particular movie. It's just Point Break with cars. But it's really when, when Justin Lin came on board, when Lin Sanity started. Three, <laughs> three and especially five and six, five and six are masterworks. So, they are so, perfect. God, I, I, so lo- I love five, five and six. Okay, okay, okay. Go, uh, but no, I, I need you, I, I'm totally going to interrupt fast. you. I'm, I want to interrupt you about this Tokyo Drift thing. Tokyo Drift was a fun movie. Like, okay, like, it it's kind of irrelevant from the rest of the series. But if you just want to go watch a fun movie, like, with your kids or something, like, that's a fun movie. Like I, and that's all I have to say about it. It's not irrelevant at all. It established so many of the, like the the tropes and so much of the formula for the later movies. It's also a sports movie. You don't see a lot of sports movies anymore. <laughs> I, okay. I, th- I think I think that was underrated. Anyway, go on. Okay, George, go ahead. Oh, okay. No, I was just gonna say I think the main reason uh, why I had to had to voice my concerns about it being overrated is just people are treating it like it's John Wick. You know, I like, mean, it's better it's, than John it's Wick. It's good. No, how dare yeah, you? It, it is because okay, like <laughs> if you if you look at the the pure box office numbers this this movie puts out, I mean it's pretty massive. Every single time this thing breaks a record, and there's a reason for that. It's because it's really freaking good. We love oh, no. we, we love Vin we, Diesel. We love Dominique Toretto. We, we no, love. We know we know we know what the reason for the box office is. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. This this franchise dies if he doesn't join it. Absolutely not. It was still doing fine. I mean, it, it, he helped. He helped for sure. But I think people, what people really want to see is they want to see the world's leading melodrama series of movies. <laughs> These are melodramas, first and foremost. There are cars and action involved. But we want to see Dominic Toretto and his people he's taken on as his family establish how important family is to them. We want to see the life and times of these people. We want to know where they end up and how they fight for each other. It's beautiful. It's a soap opera with with cars, and I think it's progressively more insane. There's nothing. There's been nothing like it ever, ever. And, and there's this criticism about how absurd this movie is. I don't care, man. Like, like if you're watching these movies, like you have to disband your disbelief. Like, you you just have to. Like, like obviously, yes, a, a car cannot go through three buildings and, and survive, right? Like, the, the, like, and the people inside it cannot still be there. Like, the like we know that. Like, <laughs> we know that. But like, that's the whole point of action movies. Like, you have to like, you have to like pretend like this things can happen. Like, it's, and, it's not a bug. It's a feature. Yeah. Like, and like. <laughs> Like I, 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 and like to me, it gets me pumped up when they do some absurd stuff. Like when when Dominic when Dominic Toretto like punches the concrete and the concrete breaks in half. Like I love that. Like and like, he, <laughs> and, he, and like he, when, he survived, he survived a parking garage falling on him. Like <laughs> Yo, he jumped across a chasm to grab uh, a lady out of midair. Like or not a cat like across like a freeway while a tank was falling off of the, it, it, everything about five and six is perfect everything about his views is perfect uh, fam- <laughs> family comes first the street always wins I will, <laughs> I will brook no dissension about this <laughs> and the fact that the rock will... can can break his cast by just flexing his muscles like that's <laughs> that's the most badass thing ever I don't want to hear it like it's it's the no, most can... go ahead that one I actually believe he did though I, I don't think that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's a sim he did a rock bottom at the start of the movie too they knew. i love that they like, knew the fact that he incorporates <laughs> wwe in every single one of his movies like i was watching fast five no i was watching uh, yeah i was watching fast five and he brought up chris jericho in the middle of the movie like and like i didn't even notice the first time and like like i love how he stays true to his roots like that but but whatever like oh, i don't know when, i i just love did, the absurdity of these movies go ahead when when he did a uh, real quick um who remembers the uh, the great American classic, Walking Tall? 
the rock he definitely rock bottomed some dude in that movie too <laughs> and then in the rundown he clotheslined like a like a column oh, yeah. like a brick pillar <laughs> yeah and, and like i don't know to me like i love the absurdities movies i i love like brian o'connor hanging off a, a truck on, on a cliff like and still being able to grab onto the roof of a car last minute like i love that like i i know it's not realistic but i don't give a like i'm here to watch the movie okay right? like, okay like, okay solomon let me ask you real quick at the end of at the end of seven did you shed a tear oh my god man like paul walker's passing like i'm not sure if it hit anybody as hard as it hit me because like and this might make me a bad person like 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 five minutes after the death i was like okay what happens to the movies now like, like i'm not sure if it happened to you like i was like like yeah like this person's gone and it's really sad like and he's a really great person but like man like i want to see my fast and furious movies and brian o'connor was such a badass character and it, it sucks that he's gone and like the way they sent him off in that final scene was beautiful right like the like i feel like that scene is is me if the rockets ever trade patrick beverly like where the cards like where, where the where the cars defi- divide into dif- into different roads like that's me if the rockets ever decide to trade patrick beverly this is a beautiful moment uh my weird anecdote about fate of the furious is that my girlfriend was actually visiting Iceland at the time that they were filming in Iceland and she actually came across the film set so uh oh, nice. she's That's interested nice. to see yeah, if they of the shots that were filmed there. Apparently, only Tyrese was actually out there on location. Oh. I mean, like <laughs> no one else came with. So it's, 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 it's Tyrese freaking Gibson, man. Like he's like my favorite actor at all these guys. She, like, she didn't meet anybody. If that's what did, you're gonna but ask. Did she, oh. But did she manage? Oh, did she manage to see the Rock punching a submarine or whatever is gonna happen? <laughs> no, I, I guess he wasn't there. If he's gonna punch a submarine, it'll be done in post, I guess. <laughs> the Rock's gonna do something completely ridiculous, and I'm gonna buy it because it's, it's the Rock. Like, 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 it's like if it wasn't if it wasn't The Rock and if it wasn't Vin Diesel, like I wouldn't buy it. But it's The Rock and it's Vin Diesel, like, and that's why I buy it. Like, there's if not for any other reason, go ahead. Has has a rebrand ever been as unsuccessful as The Rock trying to rebrand as Dwayne Johnson? <laughs> no, no, yeah, it, 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 and, and I think he's kind of taken that on now. These past like five or six years, like, yeah, I'm The Rock. Like, I I think he's kind of yeah I, he he tries to advertise himself as Dwayne Johnson but I think deep down everybody knows like you know he's the if you smell guy right like like that's him like and uh, the most electrifying man in sports entertainment exactly that's that's who he is <laughs> I will yeah. say like, I'm pretty worried he's the most electrifying man in the NBA oh it all it all it all comes back together I love I love that yeah and to, <laughs> and to conclude uh George how dare you and uh yeah <laughs> D- Daryl Morey should win executive of the year and that's and we laid out the case and fast and furious like you guys should go see the fate the, the fate of the furious they're not paying me for this it's it's because i'm just a massive fan of this movie april 14th in theaters go go watch the premiere it's gonna be it's one of those movies where you have to watch with the crowd because like in theaters like the, they have all these massive one-liners like like with ludicrous and like with Tyrese. like it's hilarious to watch with the crowd like even the jokes that are funny like they're 10 times more funny when you're watching with the crowd like I'm not sure if you guys feel that way, and like, and like the the moments of like tense, like when something badass happens, like and everybody starts clapping, like it's just so fun to watch a the to watch in a theater. But yeah, go watch that movie. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And yeah, guys, good night.
Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.